With quarantine forcing so many artists and musicians to hunker down at home, recording music remotely has never been more important. While many of us can't yet play together on stage in front of an audience, remote living has allowed us the opportunity to connect with musicians all across the globe while at home recording. In this episode of Aguilar Radio, we sat down with Aguilar President Dave Boonshoff to get his tips for getting the most out of your Tonehammer Preamp DI, one of the most beloved products in the Aguilar lineup. With a wealth of recording experience and history, Dave will share with us some of his wisdom to empower you to record professionally at home. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining us on the next episode of Aguilar Radio. And we're back today with none other than Dave Boonshoft, Aguilar President. Dave, thanks so much for joining us again. Well, it's good to be here. Uh, I'm broadcasting from my bedroom where uh, there are no crowds. We're socially distant from everybody but Mike the dog. <laughs> That's great, man. And, and we're, we're again, we're really excited to have you with us. And and I'm really excited about today's episode because we're going to take a little bit more of a, of a deep dive into one of our you know most, most beloved products, uh, the Aguilar Tone Hammer Preamp DI which has been a, a staple in our effect pedal lineup. And Dave, why don't you tell, uh, for those that don't know, tell us a little bit about the background of that pedal, the story behind it, and, uh, and, and, and its design. Well, um, you know, I had the idea that uh, we should make a tool, and that's how we got the name the Tone Hammer. Uh, the idea is that you could take a tool like this and essentially hammer out your tone, hammer out your sound, uh, mold it, you know, uh, almost like uh, somebody hammers out a cymbal, obviously has nothing to do with drums, but you get the idea. We're, <laughs> yeah, we're, yeah. Shaping, we're shaping the sound. We could have called it the tone shaper, but hammer sound uh, sounds better. Yeah, hammer's cooler. <laughs> and hammer's way cooler. Um, you know, in the old days, uh, a DI didn't have gain. The idea was to... Uh, We'd have a passive transformer, and the idea was to uh, bring the gain down 20 dB, and then the mic pre in the console had gain in it, and that's where you that's where you got the gain up to the level you needed for your recording medium. Uh, these days, we have a lot of gain in uh, these devices. They're really preamps with great DIs. So uh, your gain is right in the front. You have a lot of tonal possibilities. Uh, with the AGS control, you can change the character and add harmonic distortion. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a tone hammer. Yeah. That's, that's You put it in your bag and uh, you could do pre and post. It has a very dynamic musical response. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, show up at the gig, whether it's live or recording, and uh, hammer out your tone. Yeah, well said. And, uh, you know, let's start. So let's start at the, I want to say again, the start of this pedal, which is the master and gain controls. And instinctively, I, you know, I'm guilty of it in so many, uh, is that we start at noon. We put yes, all I, the knobs I, up straight ahead, thinking I've that's. Heard that. <laughs> I've heard that. People, many people have come up to me just on the street and say, you know that Jordan Cortese. 
I've seen him put all the knobs at noon. I am guilty. I am guilty. And and I feel like, right, you know, and, and rightfully so, I feel like people look at it and they're just like, oh, man, well, North, you know, this is where things should start. But you've shared with me in the past that because there's so much gain on the tone hammer, 12 right. noon is actually not probably a good starting point. Well, it's, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's not good or bad, but it's certainly arbitrary. Mm. So... Um, I think that people get used to doing 12 o'clock because on so many tone controls uh, that are, that are, have boosts and cut, mm-hmm. 12 o'clock is, would seem to be neutral. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with gain, that's, there's no boost and cut. It's, it's all gain. Yeah. So you'd want to start with uh, your input gain uh, set at 9 o'clock. Okay. And, and work from there because even without the AGS on, mm-hmm. as you get the input gain higher, you're going to add some some uh, character and drive. Ah, okay. And so, I feel like we're getting towards uh, that that wonderful phrase, harmonic distortion. Yeah. Well, you're gonna you're gonna add some of that. Okay. So uh, the cleaner sounds are going to be with the input gain lower, mm-hmm. and if you need more level, you use your uh, master control. Okay. Uh, but certainly, almost anything on the uh, dial is going to be relatively clean. Uh, so start at nine o'clock and and work from there and see what it sounds like. There's no substitute for just listening. Yeah, and so let's say if clean's not our thing, we want to add some grit, some of that tube light quality. How right. do we get there, Dave? Well, you can keep turning the input gain up, or you could head for the AGS uh, switch. All right, and tell us a- a little about that. Well, I'm, I boy, I'm going to tell you. It's, uh, <laughs> AGS stands for. Uh, adaptive gain shaping. Gotcha. So it's it's a gain stage and uh, an EQ overlay. Mm. So uh, it's very interactive with the input gain uh, on the tone hammer uh, DI. Gotcha. So as you raise the gain, you're also going to increase the level of grit, and you're also going to put a deeper EQ curve on it. Mm. The EQ curve actually tightens up the low end and smooths out the high end. So you're going to have a sense of more, uh, I hate to use words like this, but it's more tubiness. <laughs> it's going to sound more overdriven, but yeah. not like uh, a distortion pedal. Yeah, It's going to sound like a bigger uh, tube device. Yeah. Tube. Which is not a bad thing, right? We always say, right, what, what is one of the, the great characters of, of, uh, of great tube design is harmonic distortion. It, well, it's, it's, it's inescapable. Once you're using tubes, mm. you've, entered a, you've automatically entered a, a world of uh, warm uh, overtones and uh, even order harmonic distortion. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's unavoidable. You can use a tube in a very neutral setting mm-hmm. in a circuit, um, but uh, that's not what we really associate it with. Yeah. And so, you know, how, so now with the, with the AGS on, we're adding some of that grit and character. How now does the EQ uh, on the Tone Hammer preamp change? How, you know, how can we use it in the context of the AGS? Or how might you want to use it in the context of the AGS? Well, I'm always aware that uh, when I'm adding distortion, uh, that it really draws our ears towards the mid-range because that's really where it's all happening. Ah. So the more you're 
you know, cranking the distortion and the uh, uh, input gain, you might want to add some treble uh, for intelligibility. You might want to add low end. Even though you're not losing low end when you're turning up the input gain, mm-hmm. you're, you are adding emphasis to the oh, mid okay. Gotcha. So you might feel like, well, that's uh, too mid-rangey. Um, obviously, I've got uh, great EQ controls on the uh, tone hammer. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're there to be turned. They're there to be used. You come from the studio world. You know what it's like to be in the control room. You know what it's like to have you know every experience on this. And I, th- I mean, we we got to do an episode just on like you know studio stories from Dave, because um, uh, man, you have a bunch. I, I have I have some studio stories and and uh, uh, gig stories. It's it's a uh, it's it was one hell of a career. It was. Uh, a close second to Spinal Tap. That's all. I <laughs> we should have added eleven on the pedal, right? That is that what you're saying? You know, all, I, I, all I can tell you is that uh, when I saw Spinal Tap, I wasn't sure it was a parody. <laughs> <laughs> what a classic movie, man! I, I mean, but you know, your studio background has, in a beautiful way, informed so much of sure. uh, what we've designed and and how we've designed it. And I think you know, talking about the Tone Hammer preamp. Uh, DI in the context of recording is is so cool. And one of the things I feel like uh, we debate about is poster pre-EQ. It's got a great DI, the Tone Hammer preamp. And w- tell us why, uh, why a person might want to consider post-EQ and why they might want to consider pre-EQ. Well, uh, you need to have the ability to send the front of house uh, pre-EQ. So... Uh, uh, you know, I don't know what it's like. Uh, it's been a long time since I was, quote unquote, on the road. But, uh, you know, whatever you do on stage has nothing to do with what people are hearing, uh, you know, three or four hundred feet out. And certainly in a big uh, venue, it doesn't. And the sound mixer, uh, rightfully so, needs to have a very neutral signal. So you don't want to, uh, you might want to feel the, the uh, your pants flap uh on stage, but that could be really bad uh, for the uh, sound mixer to work with yeah. in the house. So pre-EQ uh, often is a choice for sending to uh, the house in a live concert. Mm. Um, obviously, it could be good when you're recording as well, except so often we're adding the bass last on a recording mm. or uh, you certainly want to come back into the room for the playback, uh, have a good sound. Uh, but again, you run into uh, uh, you know engineers who have a way they like to record bass, mm-hmm. and they want to get a neutral sound from you. And you might want to not do a lot of EQing for those guys. And you know they have a job to do too. Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, uh, the first Aguilar product was the DB680. And that was a parametric, uh, had two fully parametric EQs in it, um, five tubes. And um, that was before Aguilar was a company. Hmm. That was designed for me to take around to recording sessions because uh, uh, I had the idea that I wanted to bring my own uh, preamp and bypass the preamps that were in the consoles at that time. And uh, we were in some kind of mid-level studios they didn't always have great mic breeze. Mm. Uh, so that was the idea was to bring my own great 
preamp substitute for the console mic pre mm -hmm. and uh, do whatever I needed to do to get a great uh, recorded sound. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, that's that's the time to do it. You had talked at the beginning of this interview about recording at home. Yeah. So you're the engineer, you're the producer, you're the bass player. Mm. And go ahead and make the choices. You have uh, fully sweepable mid-range. Obviously, you have control of the lows and the highs. You can change the character with the AGS. You've got a lot of options. Um, you can uh, do it now. You can mm. put it onto, uh, onto tape such as it is. Tape doesn't exist anymore, but I keep calling <laughs> it tape. But you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, or you can make your choices later. Yeah. And tell us a little bit. So now, let's say we engage post-EQ now on the Tone Hammer preamp. In the context of recording, how how can players or how should players be approaching EQ now in, in the context of recording at home and using EQ? Is it is it more in a, in a corrective way? Well, it, it really depends. So sometimes when I'm recording bass and I have... There's certain things already on the track, mm. uh, and and uh, I want the part to fit in in a certain way. I might add mid range, I might subtract mid range, and I might do it in a very specific area mm -hmm. of the mid range so that the tra the bass part fits in and feels good with the other instruments. So I'm not really correcting uh, the character of the bass, but I'm changing it so that the bass is going to fit in the track really well. Mm. So we could think of it as corrective, but it's really just making it work, mm -hmm. uh, making it fit into a slot. Or, you know, listen, uh, sometimes you need things to kind of build on top of each other. You yeah. could, uh, it's not, sometimes you want to be out of the way of the kick drum. Sometimes you want to kind of mush it up right in there with it. That's mm. a, that can be a, have a beautiful effect too. Yeah. Because I feel like, you know, instinctively, it's let's say you, you, someone just sends you a drum track and you start EQing the bass, you know, for how you want it to sound without thinking about, wait, there's other layers that are, might get added to this. Sure. How do I make sure now what I'm sending out is not competing with all of that? Well, that that's that's a tricky bit. Yeah. yeah so uh, uh, if somebody, you know, now since we're talking about modern recording, somebody sends me a track and I'm working on it in my studio, uh, I'll do what I think might work, but obviously I can send them an unaffected track. Mm -hmm. uh, but the main thing is to make sure that the uh, sound that they're getting is is uh, has everything there. So if there's something in the instrument that's weak, um, maybe the low end is weak, you want to use the EQ to make sure that uh, you brought it up to where it feels good, where it feels strong. Mm -hmm. uh, but EQing is, is a, it's a it's a very subjective thing what you do um, and it makes me think of as we're talking about this when I was first doing some studio dates uh, there were engineers you could always tell who was an inexperienced engineer because as soon as you start playing they would uh, start EQing all the string noise out huh. so they'd roll out the high end then uh, any kind of honky frequencies in the seven eight hundred, they would get rid of those because mm. they had a, a too much nose on them. They were kind of nasty, and then when they bring up the other instruments in the track, the bass would pretty much be uh, sound like a tiny little child's fart. 
you know, very small, <laughs> just a little bloop. <laughs> they they kind of cleaned off all the body, all the all the artifacts were gone, and and the artifacts are part of what gives it uh, a dynamic effect. You can mm. feel the attack of the note. You have to hear the artifacts. You have to hear the string noise, the mid-range honkiness. Yeah. Uh, so uh, EQing is an art. It's a subjective yeah. thing. You're you're making a painting. Mm. There's, there's no right or wrong. Sometimes you want red, and it's a muted red that looks more like pink. Sometimes you want crimson. Yeah. And uh, you know you you make judgments and go for it. Yeah, I love how we, you know, especially on the mid-range that we have those sweeping controls because, you know, mid-range to me, uh, you know, bass players, again, like we talked at the top, instinctively 12 to go to 12 noon on the gain and master. And to me on the EQ, the, the equivalent of that is cut mid-range, cut mid-range. But mid-range can be, that's like a, to me, like the the secret sauce. It's how you dial that in to, to really sit. It can, without even touching bass and treble controls. Well, it, there's, there's stuff all over there, you know, and, and bass is a funny instrument because we really have a fairly narrow uh, frequency range that we're working within. So it's, uh, a lot of it is about how the attack feels, and the preamp has a lot to do with it. Uh, the tone hammer really translates the velocity of the notes, the envelope of the notes. Um, that has to do with the quality of the circuit design and the design itself. And um, so, of course, it's important that the EQ works well and is flexible, uh, but it has to feel like it's part of your musical instrument. It has to feel like it's part of your bass. Hmm. So all the uh, music that you're putting out there uh, doesn't become flattened into a kind of monolithic uh, uh, stream of frequencies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Uh, well, I think we can make like a little coasters. We'll do the smiley face will be one coaster. Twelve, all the knobs at twelve noon. That'll be another coaster. Uh, yes, we'll, you could we'll do some accessories. Could do that. We could <laughs> we could do the uh, uh, suggested EQ settings and suggested. Yeah. So so when you're working on a track, you just and you have you've poured yourself a nice glass of scotch or something, and it's on a coaster. You could just surprise yourself. <laughs> taking a sip of your scotch and then seeing what the coaster commands you to do <laughs> adjust the tone hammer accordingly tone hammer coasters tone I hammer coasters and, I, and I'd also happen. <laughs> and I'd also throw in there uh, a rice or babka coaster so if you're ever debating at home do I have yeah. rice or babka let the coaster help you decide but Dave you've you know we talked a little bit about your past in the studio and I, and I love I love that rich history because it's it's not only shaped the the person that you are but also the products that we've created. Tell yes. us, give give us uh, one of your most memorable studio moments. All right, okay. Well, Jordan, this is not actually a studio story, hmm. but uh, uh, I was on a gig there at Town Hall in New York. It was an award ceremony, and. Uh, they had hired uh, a small band uh, to do all the walk-on cues, okay. all the incidental music for the awards. And I was the bass player uh, in that group of musicians. The main entertainment for the evening was none other than the world famous Robert Goulet. <laughs> uh, and they had this, to me, it looked like an entire award. There were so many musicians there. 
It looked to, looked to me like a full orchestra. Wow. So uh, everybody's set up and everybody's a buzz. And I'm talking to the other musicians in the orchestra and they're saying, uh, Anthony Jackson's playing. <gasps> Anthony Jackson's the best. Wow. So I was like, oh, man, you know, he's the best. And of course, anybody who's uh, serious about bass knows how great of a musician Anthony is. Of course, is. a legend. And uh, so it's it's a winter day and apparently Anthony was driving in from another session uh, and he's running late and they're getting very very pressed for time and uh, uh, the show's about to start so uh, the the contractor's freaking out and uh, he says okay you, I, I, I need you to jump over and, and, and take the chair so uh you know, so, so you're I, subbing now for Anthony Jackson. Well, I'm not. I'm holding his place. You're holding his place. Holding his place so, <laughs> but I, I jump on the stool and and wow. uh, you know whatever they they count it off and away we go and Man. and uh, and uh, I'm holding on for dear life. <laughs> and we get we get about to the second or third song and I look over to the side of the stage in the wings and. And Anthony's there, and he's, he's got his he's got his arms crossed, and he's going, uh, and he's looking at me, and I'm thinking, oh shit, I hope he doesn't feel like you know I tried to <laughs> steal his gig. Well, you know, you're not yeah yeah steal anybody's gig, but <laughs> but you know, I was like, uh, you know, so uh, we get done, and I and uh, uh, I go over to him and, and say hi and introduce uh-huh. myself, and you know, he gave me a nice compliment, and really. Right. It, it may have made my year that, uh, uh, the, you know, he stood yeah. there and listened and, uh, and complimenting you. That is awesome. You no. Know, and, uh, you know, he, he didn't ask for lessons. I'll tell you that, but, <laughs> but, but, but it was nice. And you, you yeah. really have to, uh, respect uh, some of these players who have added so much, yeah. uh, music mm-hmm. and so much legitimacy to the art and the, uh, uh, all the styles and the yeah. love of playing bass, mm-hmm. uh, the seminal players, the Chuck Rainey's and the yep. uh, Jerry yep. Jamont's. Jerry Jamont, yeah. George Porter's. Uh, not that there's several George Porter's, but players of that, of that magnitude that have yeah. contributed so much. And Anthony is certainly uh, right at the top of that list. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, in general, it's been a lot of fun to be on the periphery of uh, so many great players and yeah. to get to know them and meet them and to call some of them, uh, many of them, my friends. Yeah. That's so cool, Dave. Thanks so much for sharing that. And thanks so much for taking the time to, to go through the tone hammer with us, tell us about its history and, and some great ways to use it. I know it's helpful uh, for me and, and I hope it is for other people that are listening in. And for those that are wondering, so the tone hammer, Dave, we celebrate 25 years. That's right. This it's year, a party, baby. It's it's a party all year, all year long. It's a party. <laughs> Corona party, quarantine. You party at home. Well, we'll yes, we'll party separately. It'll be a Zoom party. <laughs> but for those that are wondering and maybe haven't seen or might have missed it, the Tone Hammer is available in our silver anniversary finish sure. limited uh, only this year. So go grab it while you can. Uh, from your local Aguilar dealer and of course in our in our standard uh, green finish but yeah man go get a piece of Aguilar history and, and get your Tone Hammer Silver Anniversary Edition that's right you can uh, get it and uh, 
hammer your tone. There we go. Dave, thanks so much for joining us again. We'll see you next time. Okay. Thanks a lot, Jordan. Thanks for having me.